1: everybody, and welcome to the show, brought to you, as always, by the folks at Tobin Brothers Funerals celebrating lives. Today, we're joined by a four-time Olympic basketballer, a three-time NBL champion, and a Perth Wildcats legend. Andrew Vlahov spent his entire 12-year career with the Wildcats, becoming Rookie of the Year in 91, a dual All-NBL First Team member, and twice being named Australian International Player of the Year. A former CEO and owner of the Wildcats, he's now entrenched in the business world. Andrew, welcome, and thanks a lot for joining us.
2: Thanks very much for having me.
1: Now, as well as everything else, else you're doing that we'll touch on i imagine you're very a very keen observer of all things
2: boomers and of course your wildcats in the nbl I do take an interest in both, mate. Yes, <laughs> obviously, Wildcats in my blood through and through, but so is the green and gold. So it's fabulous to be able to sit there and watch both from time to time.
1: What sort of fan are you? Whether in front of the TV or in the uh, in the stands? Well, you probably
2: have to be a bit more definitive about that. What sort of fan am I? Yeah, are, um, you, are you a
1: vocal one? Are you one to get stuck into the refs? Do you sit there quietly? Do you, are
2: you a passionate observer? I probably sit there quietly. Um, you know, one of the things that uh, I used to be able to do when I was playing was block out all the yeah. the noise around me so I just like watching the game I probably immerse myself into you know being on the court in a, in a way that that makes it a little bit more fun to watch because you've kind of been there and done that and so uh, not just being able to appreciate the the skills and athleticism of the guys but you know looking at it from a a personal or player angle where when opportunities come up or a pass has got to be made or a shot's got to be hit. Those are the fun parts of being a fan that, that has a bit of experience under their belt. So we're obviously
1: watching from afar, but you touched yeah. on the World Cup that's on in Japan, Indonesia, and the Philippines at the moment. How do you assess, you know, the current squad that Brian Gorgian has at his disposal? It's, it's hard to compare eras, but is it among the most talented? you think we've had in terms of the guys and the depth, I suppose, that that uh, that he can call
2: on? Well, I think it speaks volumes for Australian basketball, and in and by association, the NBL of how they've brought guys through that whole program. Um, there's no question that's a talented group, incredible um, resumes on. On guys on there, but that all counts to nothing if your chemistry is not right and the team's not in harmony uh, or your strategy is poor or all those sorts of things. The world basketball scene is extremely competitive and, you know, you might have a 10 guys on your roster that, that have got NBA contracts, but you can still get beat by talented teams from other countries. So look, I think I, I have great faith in the boomers' culture. And that means players that come and go, that the culture remains consistently, you know, bedrocked in in those things that, that I was a part of and that, you know, the current group have now sort of owned and 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 potentially expanded on. It seems to me like they're a very good, close knit group. And that's always been, I think, one of our key advantages in international basketball is that, you know, put a layman's term on it, the mateship principle makes a lot of sense when uh, in the heat of battle, you need to be able to rely on your mates. And, and we were always able to do that, certainly when I was playing. So I think it's a it's a talented group. Unfortunate that Landau couldn't be inside that group because I think he would have given a, a fabulous additional dimension. But it is a small group um, when you look across who we'll probably get some trouble with. But conversely, um, I think we'll give a lot of teams trouble if we if we can hit a <clears throat> hit consistently from the three and our transition games up there, because I don't think there's a better team in the competition in transition than us.
1: I just have to ask, you know, seeing our mate Gazy's emotions spill over, of course, after a medal was finally secured in Olympic competition, obviously, in Tokyo. Uh, Patty Mills and the way he spoke afterwards. I mean, I know you said you're more of a sort of a passive observer these days, but geez, you would have had to have a box of tissues nearby, surely, Andrew. After that, I,
2: to be quite honest with, you, I'll tell you exactly what happened. I um I was sitting there watching it, and um on on the night that we won the bronze, my mum was in a car accident, and um so I had to zip out. Uh, it wasn't a serious one, so right. everything's okay and whatever. But I missed um, from half time through to halfway through the fourth, um, and so uh, I was able to get back. In fact, I had to go out pick her up. Um, and then we watched the, the rest from her house. But then when I got back to my own house, and I was watching Drewy and, and, and all that, I said to my wife, Claire, I said, I'm, I'm just going to go and have a quiet beer uh, from the fridge and celebrate, you know, from a, a, a virtual cheers with everyone there. So oh. it was a very, very special moment.
1: Yeah, my favorite moment of the Olympics to me the way Paddy Mills spoke on court afterwards. I mean, how could you not well up listening to that and and for you and all those who came with you and before you and after you. I mean, for you personally to get to four games so 88 92 96 2000 we'll we'll get to those in a moment. I mean, you lost the bronze medal game in three of those four tournaments. Is there a special understanding there of I guess the pain and the disappointment that you guys lived <clears throat> That perhaps went maybe just some small way to being soothed, even if you weren't out on the court in Tokyo. Could you almost find I don't know some sort of comfort in it? Um,
2: I wouldn't say comfort, but I found solace, um, and that the 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 fact I think too that the current group has um, done a magnificent job of recognising kind of the people that have come before them. Um, like we recognised, you know, the pioneers of the sport kind of when when we were playing as well. I think that's... That's part of the boomers' culture is understanding the lineage um, that comes with wearing the green and gold. And the fact that the, you know, a a really interesting part, we'll we'll come to this maybe later, but I I found like um, I was just very, very happy for that group because they'd they'd experienced disappointment um, like we had as well. Um, Not that we ever thought we'd win the bronze medal game against the US in 88, but... (laughs) You know, I think I hit a shot and narrowed the margin to 32. Um, (laughs) Hey, two-horse
1: race, two-horse race. Whatever, whatever.
2: Um, We were in there, um, but... It was a, a such a, a pleasing thing to, to watch and then, you know, in that kind of strange sense of participation, be a part of, yeah. Yeah.
1: So this isn't obviously a where are they now sort of a show, but but where are you now, Andrew? And, and what's keeping you busy? Because it didn't look like you had any trouble adjusting the life off the court. I mean, you were still on it when you purchased the Wildcats franchise, but what are you up to now? What's keeping you busy day-to-day, week-to-week and month-to-month?
2: I work for myself. The easiest way to explain it is I'm a strategic consultant. I um have found a knack in helping people, companies, entities, be they here or overseas, um, solve complex problems. And some of that is is not that complex. Um, some of it's just simply around connecting the right people to the right market or the right two companies in some sort of um bilateral relationship um so that's what kind of keeps me busy i chair an engineering company um that is um pretty much a startup but it is um led by aboriginal man, and um, we've got a, a fabulous patent on um autonomous hydraulic tuning um that we're going to market with as we speak um and I'm super passionate in, in the youth space for, um, for kids and what sport can do for kids. And be it, you know, youth justice or be it um, preventative, be it life skills, you name it. I think sport adds a lot to a, a young person's development. And um, I also chair a, a fairly large, uh, predominantly Aboriginal group called Binar Futures and Binar is the Noongar word. So where I am in Perth is Noongar country. Um, and uh, while I'm I'm here, I'll acknowledge uh, that I am on Wajak Noongar Budja and pay my respects to their elders past and present. But I'm really passionate about helping the kids that there are a lot of barriers in front of get opportunities in not only in the sport but in life so mm. binar is about empowering uh aboriginal youth to shoot for the stars because the word binar is the is the word for shooting star or meteor in uh in the noongar language and um it's um it's very very rewarding um and feeds the soul if you want to call it that mm. um yeah so I, i've volunteer in that space and add, you know, um with a with a few other very, very good allies. Uh, Ernie Dingo's on our board. He's a name that you probably know. Um but yeah it's a great it's a great kind of club. We are attempting to become a wobble club, which is like um BBL, if you want to call it that. So yeah. a, a a registered um proper club affiliated within Basketball Australia, Basketball West Australia, and we are in that process of trying to get there, and there's a few hoops to jump through, but we're, we hope to be a wobble club by 2025, and the reason that that's so important for Aboriginal kids is a lot of our kids... Are probably discounted quite early um, in the selection process because um, they face you know a variety of challenges whether whether it be financial or transport or whatever it is um, so we try to bring that, all those barriers down and make sure that because um, there's tremendous talent that is overlooked in the Aboriginal community um, you know there, there's you know finding um, you know it, it's a it's a probably a poor catch cry but you know finding the next Patty Mills um, they're there if they got the opportunity i think. Feel certain that we would be able to get a much better representation, not only in our state teams, uh, but at the national level as well.
1: Good on you. That is brilliant to hear. And do you, you still find time for the old shoot around yourself?
2: Well, my daughter just left for uh, St Mary's, um, and prior to that, yeah, I was a rebounding fool for <laughs> uh, for running around. Um, probably the body's in isn't in the best of shape to to run up and down too much. But I did have a bit of a run with some masters guys uh, about a year or so ago. Yeah. Um, just uh, you actually couldn't call it a run. You call it a, a very uh, a fat uh, shuffle. <laughs>
1: Who said anything? A transition defence is overrated anyway. Uh, yeah, you're exactly. listening to This Is Your Journey. It's thanks to Tobin Brothers, a family-owned business since 1934. Right, we'll step through the start of Andrew Vlahol's journey after this, so stay with us.
0: You're listening to This Is Your Journey with Sam Edmund. For Tobin Brothers Funerals, visit tobinbrothers.com.au. Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Hello, great to have your company on This Is Your Journey, made possible by Tobin
1: Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. Three-time NBL champion and four-time Olympian, Andrew Vlahov, is our guest today. So, Andrew, the surname, Vlahov, help me out. Is it Croatian? It is Croatian.
2: Um, so, my father's side of the family is Croatian. His grandfather uh, immigrated in post-World War One to cut uh, railroad sleepers and um, my father was born here. Um, My mother is Latvian, so part of that uh, Estonia, Lithuania, Latvia, Baltic, uh, area. So very good basketball heritage in both places. Yeah. But yeah, my, my surname is, is Croatian.
1: And your mum, was she born in Perth or did she... My no, brother- she
2: was born in Latvia and um, fled the Soviet invasion in the late 40s. Was a refugee for two years in a, in a German refugee camp run by Americans. The rest of her family went to the US, but her father was a Lutheran minister and he got a calling or got the call to come to Perth. And so um, he was the only one that out of her entire family, uh, quite a few cousins, et cetera, uh, that came to Perth and became the, the minister of the Lutheran Church here. Um, and then, yeah, mum and dad both uh, met at my high school, um, so I went to the same high school as them, so they met in um, their year 11-12 in, in the high school and both of them went on to be Commonwealth Games athletes my mother was a long jumper and my father was a discus thrower, so had um, had the, all well, in an advantage I guess, of, of some pretty decent breeding stock.
1: Are you kidding me at a bit of an advantage? You were blessed Andrew, so you've got a, a, <laughs> a leaping woman and a strong man as parents, now your parents by the way, Eva and Len, so didn't Len hold the state discus record for a couple of decades and and your mum twenty was, years straight yeah right and your mum was state long jump champion as well so genetics geez you're thanking both of them aren't you to the heavens yeah I
2: am like very very blessed and um you know the um maybe I would have preferred my mum was a lo- a high jumper um so then I'd be able to dunk more <laughs> good point
1: good point actually wrong jumping but so you got to six foot seven in the old I think which is what about two hundred and one centimeters and I think what was your playing weight 100, 108 kilos or thereabouts as a pro were you always taught as a kid were you an early riser or a late bloomer or how did it take shape yeah
2: no i was always kind of the tallest kid in the class so um i don't i don't ever recall not being um there was one kid i think in grade five that was of equal height but um no i was always you know probably be fair to say an early developer um and uh which allowed me you know to especially my early teens to i was playing. Started playing against men when I was fourteen, and um, could hold my own in that space because I was a strong kid by then. And um, but it gave me a great grounding into learning the game from the physical side very early. Yeah. Um, so. Yeah. We had a couple of really good old schoolers in the old Perth Redbacks, and um, they used to clip me around the ears non-stop. And that was right there in front of my dad, who was giving me clips around the ears as well, because he played on the. Um, he was training in, in the same group, so no sympathy. Just get on with it, son. Hundred percent, mate. There was uh, no blood, no foul rule in in the, in those training sessions. So
1: hang on, but Perth or WA being a big footy city and a big footy state. How did they not get you in the ruck?
2: I don't know, definitely played footy, loved footy. Um played ruck and center half forward. Was okay, I guess, at both. Uh won the MVP of the league. But basketball, um I made a decision quite early. Uh, when I was like 14, 15, that I wanted to play for Australia and you couldn't do that playing AFL. So how, uh, how did
1: how did that seed get planted though? Was it something you saw, something you watched?
2: No, I don't know how the seed got planted, but, I, you know, my mum and dad were had represented Australia at the Comm Games and I wanted to go one better. Yeah. So um, that was the first probably part of my competitive streak coming out, <laughs> which was finely tuned by my two older sisters, mind you. I, I wanted to play for Australia and that was it and um, footy wasn't going to be able to, to to do that, so I tools down in footy when I was about fifteen, and then concentrated solely on on basketball summer and winter.
1: So the local club, Perth Redbacks, was it?
2: Yes, that's correct.
1: And did you meet another big kid down there somewhere along the lawn?
2: Funny, I did. Um, so both uh, my dad, Len, and Luke's dad, Rick, played for the Redbacks in the in the senior men's team, and then we would always be you know, trolling around the old Perry Lakes together and, you know, we keep on crossing paths and we've sort of got to hang out. And and Luke, um, you know, we uh I, I remember him saying to me one day, you know what, we may as well be friends because we, we're gonna play on a few teams together and <laughs> so that was the start of that friendship and um um uh, I'm actually catching up with him for a beer next week sometime. The uh the interesting thing was we were early identified by uh an American guy here called Ed Rogers, not just because we are the sons of of two of the players, but, you know, Luke already was tall but he was really thin we we got into training together from an early age made the rep sides progressed up through as club teammates state teammates Aussie junior teammates Olympic teammates yeah we were we were I was hopeful of being college teammates too but uh my dad um my dad during the recruiting process of uh of college uh said I can go to any university I want in America as long as it's Stanford
1: (laughs) so what why was that
2: well dad was a PhD in uh economics and education Education And so where um, some of the other schools weren't as, call it, um, serious about their education with their student-athletes, Stanford was. So you had to get into Stanford. Uh, Stanford's like the Harvard of the West Coast. Yeah. It's won more national championships than the next two universities combined. Um, when it comes to all sports. So it's a very takes it sports seriously, but takes its academics even more seriously. And so, um, I had this opportunity to go to one of the best institutions in the world. And, um, my dad wasn't going to let me make a, a poor decision based on, um, me wanting to hang out with me, with me mate Luke. So, um, so I ended up at Stanford and he went on to New Mexico and he ended up getting drafted and going uh, into the bulls and having a magnificent career. So maybe, maybe I should have gone to New Mexico. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I want to come back to Stanford, though, in a minute after the break. But just before we get to that break, I want, just before we get to that university level, just rewinding a bit, sort of, I guess... Back to the Redbacks days, Andrew. Like, was it a natural talent that you thought you possessed or was it more something you felt you really had to work at it? And if so, did you have the work ethic for it at, the, at that age? I guess I'm keen to understand, was it something that you felt you genetically blessed, as you said, and you had it all the natural gifts or it was just that real thirst, you identified it early and you had to work or a combination of all of the above?
2: Probably a combination. Um, I definitely had the thirst because um, I, was, I, I would shoot around before school. I'd play three-on-three at lunchtime every day and then I would either have training in the afternoon for one of you know three teams I was playing for um and or I'd be shooting around in the backyard so um I guess the work ethic of that was probably instilled very strongly by my father but um I just had this I guess a philosophy that every shot I took got me a millimeter closer to my goal and so the if I wanted to make achieve my goal, I, ne- I needed to work out more and shoot more. And I was immersed in basketball from sort of thirteen to 16, 17 or whatever before I cracked it to the to the national team. But I couldn't get enough of it. And um, yeah, I just I just felt like I had to. Um, I wanted to be the the best kid in the country for my age. Um, you know, arguably may have got there. I was a leading scorer in the in the uh, in the national championships when I was fifteen, and uh, we won a championship bottom age. 18 the first ever for WA again. Um probably, you know, does help to have Luke on your team when when that. But we had a great little team that, you know, still catches up today. Funny enough, we had a anniversary about, I don't know, a couple of years ago and I think nine out of the ten blokes showed up and oh, it was really cool.
1: Wow.
2: Um, so yeah, it's um it's it's been a good journey. You know, being being picked in the state both bottom age times was was fun too, because I think it was really good for me when I come back as a top age player, um, to have that experience. Certainly in the under-16s, that helped a lot.
1: We're with decorated former Australian basketballer Andrew Vlahov, on and this is your journey. It's all thanks to Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. Alright, life on campus at Stanford, and Andrew's explosive start in the NBL is up.
0: You're listening to This Is Your Journey with Sam Edmond. For Tobin Brothers Funerals, visit tobinbrothers.com.au Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. You're listening to This Is Your Journey with Sam Edmund. For Tobin Brothers Funerals, visit tobinbrothers.com.au. Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Hello, we hope you're enjoying this week's edition of This Is
1: Your Journey. Today's guest is triple NBL champion forward Andrew Vlahov. So, Andrew, (coughs) Luke Longley might have gone to New Mexico, but you went to Stanford. California. I've got to ask you, what was life like on campus there in California as an Australian in the late 80s, early 90s? The world was a much bigger place back then. You would have been a novelty for sure. How did you possibly maintain your focus and your discipline for your studies and obviously your basketball?
2: Well, the novelty part certainly uh, came into play because if you recall, Crocodile Dundee was released, I think, in 1985. And then the sequel I don't know, late 80s. And also at the time, Paul Hogan was doing beer commercials and um, Australian tourism commercials. And so having an Aussie uh on the screen and, and he was very popular, you know, put another shrimp on the Barbie. That's it. You know, all sorts of you know comments used to come out about that stuff. And and, and you'd play it up to it to a degree. But um Foster's language 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 was a was a uh you know, if you've got a reasonably strong Australian accent, most Americans cannot understand you. So you have to slow down your syntax and, and uh and your pronunciation so that um your professors or whomever your teachers can can understand, you know your responses or your questions. Um, but I loved I loved being on campus. It was um, a fabulous place of learning. It was very stimulating. Um, so much, you know, brain power in one spot. It was really really inspiring. Actually, mm. um, keeping on the straight and narrow was was quite easy because we had a very disciplined basketball program in that space. Um, we certainly got out to the frat parties and had a few beers from time to time, as you do as a young man. Um, but you know, largely, uh, I was very academically focused. And I wanted to make sure that because in the late 80s, basketball, even though it was starting to pick up, it wasn't a career option for me. Um, I was I initially entered into engineering and finished in economics. So my, um, my pathway was to become an engineer. Yeah. So, um, so
1: hang on, basketball wasn't your focus, I, I would have thought, and you mentioned international um sort of level basketball before, I wondered if, you know, Because most kids now growing up, they probably want to play in the NBA. And then also the Boomers, if they're they're good enough. But you had no... That wasn't your priority? I
2: wouldn't have said I didn't have a dream, but I'm also probably a reasonably realistic person, you know. I would have been the NBA's best orange peeler, uh, you know, sitting on the end of the bench. So I wanted to play. I got an opportunity to try with the Los Angeles Lakers after my uh, senior year and in my first year of the Cats. uh, And that actually opened my eyes to say, well, actually... Um, the gap is not what I thought it was and um, you know certainly capable of playing and you know whether it was in the Olympics or when the wildcats played the Houston Rockets um, I more than held my own in that in that space so I wasn't worried about that I probably missed my um, I missed my calling I guess because I turned down the Lakers um, uh, veteran camp uh, offer to play in the 1991 grand final and You know, sometimes I think back and say, well, was that the right move at the end of the day? But being a team orientated person, I felt like I couldn't leave my teammates on it. You know, we're in a championship series to, to go and pursue something individually. So, and I thought, you know, rightly or wrongly, probably get another shot or another chance. I didn't pursue free agency in the... The way summer summer league was done then was somewhat different. They had teams of sort of free agents that played on one team um, back then. But I really enjoyed my summer league time playing with the Lakers and got the invite back um for the vet camp and i thought oh well i'll do it again next year or after the olympics in 92 or whatever but you know i didn't i didn't have an agent probably pushing hard enough in fact i didn't even have an agent um (laughs) so it was um it was just one of those things you know i was lucky but I, i still consider my basketball career um a blessing and and i've been so lucky
1: Geez, you're pretty modest though because I know you had plenty of success at Stanford. I mean, collectively and individually and I, and I know you still sit, you know, in some of those all-time stats categories as well to this day. So I mean, you did you did leave a fair imprint in your 4 years there. The homecoming to the Wildcats, if I can call it that to WA anyway, was successful. as You said you played in the 91 grand final year. You, you rookie of the year as well. So, geez, what a what a year one to have back in uh back in Australia and in the NBL. You couldn't have asked for any more, surely.
2: Yeah, no, I was incredibly lucky and um, you know, they just they just coming off a championship so they'd won in 1990 which was the club's first championship and i feel like you know probably myself and pete hansen joining the group we strengthened that lineup and so i still rate it as probably probably the one of the best teams i played on i think the 95 team which you know obviously you, you carry through the same some of the same characters would have probably given that team a run for its money but game was you know a little bit different but uh, ultimately my, my my rookie season was was amazing
0: Pinder's back there, well done Tiny Pinder. he's got an eye on the clock, he's got a smile on the face, the answer in the air, the Wildcats have done it! The Wildcats are champion. Yeah. The team which won the regular season
1: by five games, deservedly have gone on to win the championship, and the Perth Entertainment Centre erupts wow. to announce
2: Champions for the second year in a row. I met my, my wife in that year. I went to the Lakers. We won the championship earlier in the year. We won the NIT in Madison Square Garden when Stanford became national NIT champions. And yeah. I captained that and made the All-Star Five. So yeah, it was a it was a bloody good year, 1991. You just reminded me. I should celebrate <laughs> it a bit more often. Absolutely, you should.
1: Now, you're in the boomer setup around this time too, which was, you know, your, your childhood dream. So the 92 Olympics, you knocked out in the quarters by Croatia. And I, I know you didn't play the dream team that year but they had a, a spell over the, the sport they had a spell over the entire games as it turned out in, in Barcelona what was it like being there in the village in Barcelona I mean could you obviously you would have wanted to beat them um but
2: could you feel the aura oh look they had a spell across the globe yeah um you know I remember waiting uh we were on next because unfortunately they were in the other pool so we didn't get to play them in the pool round and missed them in the crossover but we're, we're waiting to warm up and they're playing I think it was Angola And uh, we were, I can't even remember who we were playing, but I just wanted to get out courtside and and stick my head around the corner. And there's my idols, you know, Johnson, Jordan, uh, Larry Bird, who was my, you know, probably my ultimate idol, you know, out there on the floor. And so it was yeah, it was, uh, it was surreal, to be honest. Um, and, and it was, you know, uh, ultimately disappointing that we didn't get to to play against them, but just watching them up close was pretty damn good too. Well,
1: you got a real close look at them four years later, of course, 96. Now, um, I've got to take you to Salt Lake. That Salt Lake exhibition game has lived on far longer than it probably should have, and that was due to
2: <laughs> Shane Hill's <laughs> Well, thanks fire. to Hammer having a punch-up, <laughs> it has, yeah. Gaze finds Bratke, and
0: here's heal for another three, and he hits. He only is allowed to miss one of the game because he's got 4 out of 5 Uh-oh. and 14 points in he'll, the game. He'll just sit again. He and Barkley just collided. Now Barkley and oh Shane Heal at midcourt have yeah. to be separated by the official and Carl Malone in the middle right now. Oh, this is totally uncalled for. The young man, the young man hit the, hit his fourth three. And when he made it, just watch right here. Whatever Barkley's saying to the kid, yeah, I I don't understand it. Only the people who are in front of the Australian bench would know.
1: He did indeed with Charles Barkley. Became the stuff of legend. You know, Barkley's finger gun salute to the boomers bench. But I mean, so you spoke about as a kid, you know, at the Redbacks and some of those older blokes beating up on you. Well, that might have been good practice for Shaq, Malone, the Admiral Robinson, I mean those big guys under the basket. I mean, how, how did you find how did you find coming up against them when the time came? Well, I had
2: a small run in with Carl Malone actually, uh in That's that right. game. You did
1: too. That's Our good.
2: offense. We were running the shuffle offense, which uh if you've got anything to do with the Melbourne Tigers or Victoria basketball, you'd know about. And so I set a one of the best back screens I reckon I've ever set um, and rung Malone's bell caught him completely off guard and probably the way the angle with a slightly raised elbow got him right in the kidneys I reckon anyway he didn't like it remonstrated with me and we swapped um you know, Christmas card addresses and the rest is history. But, yeah, that was a fun game. And the hamster going nuts for, I don't know, he had 32 or 36 or something like that. But he was unstoppable. And then, the you know, the whole Barkley incident, which is, you know, which was all, didn't think it was that bad at the time. But then, you know, it's in the highlights that night, and the next day. And, it blew up. You know, it's, um, it was it was quite good. And I'm sure Shane's milked the hell out of it. But um, <laughs> it's um, it was a fun game. And, they, I mean, they were a very talented group, no doubt. They weren't the original dream team. And uh, we also let them know that. Um, but <laughs> I was going to ask
1: you if you could give away, I'm sure some sledges live on over time. Geez, it was a chippy game, that exhibition game. You gave as good as you got. Please tell me you did. Oh, no, we
2: did. Um, I think we were leading for a good part of the first quarter. But look, at the end of the day, playing the US is always tough, you know. And um, at that time, we probably, it was a great experience to play with them. And, and we learned a lot from playing them. But immense talent, you know, going 10, 12, deep it's just it's like an avalanche coming at you when they get on the break and that and and you know you don't have you don't have some six four guard trying to finish on you you've got david robertson or shaquille or malone who else is on that group grant hill was in that group scotty pippen
1: historically he would have had to go um
2: you know it was insane amount of talent but um, we 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 are uh, you know we talked about it as a group and we just said we play our way our standard we never we're never taking a backward step and if they want to go we'll go but they um you know they they. They beat us fair and square, I guess. At the end of the day, but we gave them a little scare, and I think they gave us a, a fairly good rap, as I recall, in the post-game uh, conference, saying it's the best team they've ever played as a, you know, in their warm-up games, and you know, gave them. Like I said, we. I think that's the great thing about Australian basketball is we're no longer overawed by anybody. And now we're, you know, in some ways it's on the other foot. So we're no longer always the underdog, which, you know, if you watch the Brazil game the other day, I would say we we lacked that mentality and we paid the price, shooting woes aside. So it's really important to always make sure that you have, you know, a degree of humility about who you are and what you are and then attack the game as if you are the underdog in order to get a good result.
1: So the Dream Team 96, uh, or Team USA 96, you had that rendezvous in the semi-final, which is a great achievement to make it that far. And then the same year, the bronze medal match lost to Lithuania. We touched on 88, the bronze medal lost to the US. Uh, Sydney 2000, the bronze medal lost to that same country, Lithuania. So how do you look back on all these games, Andrew? I mean, we spoke about it earlier when we were talking about the success of Tokyo with the bronze. Do they live on with you in their own little ways? Do you bunch them together collectively, or have you been able to just let them all go?
2: I no, know. I, I remember them very fondly win lose or draw um playing at the you know as part of the top 100 players in the world or whatever at any one time is a great honor um but just wearing the green and gold is is to me you know the ultimate honor um so yeah no i I don't i don't hold any you know it doesn't bother me i finished therapy you know a long time ago uh (laughs) for finishing four or three times but no, I, I mean, I look back at it very fondly and, and, you know, as pissed off as I was back then as a young younger person, um, time, you know, mm. time mellows that, I think, ultimately. And, yeah, I, I have a great degree of, you know, respect and fondness for what we achieved.
1: You're listening to This Is Your Journey, thanks to Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. There's more to come with Andrew Vlahov right after this.
0: Hello, it's been great to have your company here on This Is Your Journey. It's all thanks to Tobin
1: Brothers Funerals, a family-owned business since 1934. We've been joined today by former Perth Wildcat and Boomers forward Andrew Vlahov. So, Andrew, actually, you took over as captain of the Wildcats in 93 from Mike Ellis, but was there ever at any stage of you leaving? I mean, being traded, playing overseas, et cetera, were you... Never even sort of crossed your bow there at the Wildcats. You were a set and forget.
2: No, I um, uh, I got a couple of really good offers from Japan that, that occurred in 93 and 94 and the first part of 95. And I kept going back and saying, you know, I'd like to do this. And they're like, nah, uh, you're contracted. But what Kerry uh, Stokes, who was the owner at the time, did let me do at the end of 95 when we won it is play a European off-season or whatever I could. And at that time, most of the good jobs are gone. So the only job I could get, like, I only had a week to sign. And um, I played in Belgium for a little bit and uh, I was the only... I was the first ever non-American import into the league. And uh, I'd just come off. We'd just been with the Wildcats had just won the preseason, the regular season, the championship, and we had gone to the McDonald's Open to play against the Houston Rockets. We got, we missed our first 17 field goal attempts. We were 0 for 17. I hit a three that made us uh, 1 of 18. So the start wasn't flash. (laughs) we were down only down five at the half and this mind you is we won the championship on a Sunday in Perth we flew out the very next morning at 6am to Singapore and our young blokes decided to test out the liquor capabilities of the uh, Singapore business lounge and so by the time they got to London and we got off and practiced let's just say that (laughs) none of them would have been would have passed an RBT driving uh, thing so <laughs> the, the, the funny thing is the, the bloke that um, came over to interview us from the media was Danny Ainge. And so Danny comes over and he goes, Oof, you always need to dry up, you know, you got a game tomorrow. And um, so it was quite funny. But um, the boys had celebrated a win as their first championship. So it was absolutely understandable. So, yeah, we rocked up and played against the Rocks. We ended up getting, lo- getting beaten significantly, so but packed it up the following day with a win over Real Madrid. And that surprised everybody. But by then we were, you know, we were back on deck and everyone was dialed in and, you know, the whole the whole experience of playing a game and getting, you know, I think we lost to the Rockets by 30 or 32 maybe. To turn around and beat Real Madrid surprised everyone globally. And that put Perth and the NBL, I reckon, on the map. That was the start. We, uh, we celebrated that win in fashion, let me tell you.
1: <laughs> Fantastic. You mentioned Kerry Stokes. So can I take you to Wildcats' ownership with you and Luke um, before uh, Luke Longley pulled out, was it? How many seasons was it where you were a player and a co-owner?
2: Was it one or two? Three. Three. We took over uh, in the 99-2000 season and uh, I played that season, 2000-2001 and 2000-2002, finished up in 02. Yeah, so Luke and I had the opportunity to acquire – majority stake in the team. And we did. Kerry remained a uh, a 25% shareholder for the first, I think, 18 months to help us through that process and generously provided us advice, a very, very astute board member in David Aspinall and some funding to help us get over the hump of, uh, of that transition and, and learning the ropes. Uh, so I'll be forever grateful about that. And then we, you know, it'd be fair to say I was into innovation and always have been. And that's part of kind of what I do, you know, in solving sort of problems is innovation of of considering things from a different angle. So we flipped the court around. We changed the look and feel of the Perth Entertainment Centre. We gave we did a bit of a college system where we gave I think it was two dollar tickets to uni students on either end of the court plus a few beers before the game and that provided a cracking atmosphere we introduced corporate (laughs) boxes we we really i think um got off to a fantastic start as owners because we won the championship in our first year we were able to sign paul rogers uh who was you know our mvp uh, of the league and so you know we had a a really uh, finely tuned unit in that year too so We were very fortunate. It was an interesting situation for myself because the first person I told then once I'd signed the contract to to take over the ownership was Alan Black and he was the coach. So I said, Blackie, nothing's going to change when I have the jersey on. Things will change when I don't have the jersey on and I've got a suit on. And we ended up you know, with a good relationship, it, but it was, you know, I look back now and i go, what was I thinking? You know, I was captain CEO and owner, which <laughs> hadn't been done anywhere in the world is until, he, until Jordan did it at the wizards. Apparently. It, it is so incredible. It opens up all
1: sorts of, quirks I'm sure like I mean I think I read Ricky Grace saying something once that it was a bit weird sharing the floor with the owner like does he stop demanding the ball from you for a what for a time or what I mean does the coach is he too scared to take you off I mean all these sort of quirky questions that I'm sure you've been
2: asked over time what a situation. Yeah, and, and it's a funny one because no it, none of that happened because <laughs> I think I I do believe I'd earned the respect of my teammates and the coach uh, and they yep. knew what I wanted is what they wanted um, and that was to win and, and and they knew I was objective enough. To think that if I sucked enough, I needed to be off, then I'd be off. I think Blackie had a lot of faith in me my teammates did as well. And I think we did okay in that space. Yeah, it was somewhat difficult in the off-season when, um, you know, you had to change personnel. But it was funny, you know, I had to get used to trying to be focused during warm-up and I'm going, okay, what kind of crowd are we going to have in tonight, you know? I Literally, I could tell you what the yield, the ticket yield would be by (laughs) – Quarter time, <laughs> so part of my brain was there, but it was well and truly at the back, and I was focused on winning. But it, it, it was funny, but it, f- again, in in a weird way, it helped me really focus on the game, and that was what I, I'm, and that's what I've always been about. And you know, it's one thing I, I, I think certainly towards the end of my career, in the last year or two, you know, two thousand, I was still a relatively strong contributor, sort of close to double doubles most games. But with the Aussie team, I knew what my my role was. I was. I was fourth or fifth in line to get the ball to shoot. So in order for me to be of value to the team, I had to figure out something something else to do. So, you know, I, I, I really focused on my role as a as a point forward and a distributor and a screener because we had, you know, a couple of the world's best shooters. Hmm. So, you know, is it better for me to take threes or is it better for Andrew Gaze to take threes or, or Shane? So, you know, being, again, all I wanted to do was win. So if that meant not taking a shot and just rebounding and, and screening, so be it. Um, I I would be very, I was always comfortable with that.
1: So with such an amazingly well-rounded background in the game, as a player, as a CEO, as an owner, a shareholder, I mean, what can I ask you what you've made of, I guess, what Larry Kesselman and his team have done, both, you know, with the league, um, do you marvel in recent years at the rejuvenation he's been able to engineer, but then the growth of it on top of that at the top level here, are you, are you amazed at
2: how well it's gone? I wouldn't say I'm amazed. I'm over the moon because I think the way they've gone about it has been very smart and strategic. And um, again, you know, kind of being that's my wheelhouse. I really like what they've done. He's certainly not been shy in investing into the product, and that's you know, without someone like Larry like that, you, you wouldn't, you would the NBL wouldn't be where it is. To me, he's had the biggest influence on the NBL bar none in the history of the game. I think the ultimate, you know, the showing is how respected we are across the world now. People are coming that want to play in the NBL. And the negotiations, you know, with, you know, the NBA and and those exhibition games just speaks volumes for how they respect us. You know, they don't just ask anyone to come and play preseason games. So they know they'll get a a tremendous hit out from us. And, you know, I mean, uh, the Sixers beat Phoenix the other year, which was which was phenomenal. So the the drought's been broken and that may or may not happen again. I don't know, but um, it has happened. History will always record that. But, you know, I think the Cats only lost to maybe Denver or something by a few. So it's not like we're uncompetitive, but that that unity and, you know, I would not be surprised to see the NBA probably take a stake in the NBL at some point.
1: Andrew Vlahov, thanks so much for joining us today. A tremendous career at the top level, it most certainly was. You'll obviously forever be a part of Wildcats folklore, but to get to four Olympic Games and to play in some of the great boomers teams over the years is a testament to your talent and, of course, your longevity. Thanks for sharing your story with us. Thank you very much for having me. You've been listening to This Is Your Journey for Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. You can jump online. You can find them at tobinbrothers.com.au and we'll catch you the next time we celebrate another great sporting journey.